This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street. From race to adventure, custom to naked, look no further than Renthal Street for handlebars, clip-ons, chains, and sprockets. Welcome to this special little podcast direct from the Campus Repsol in Madrid. Uh, Neil and I have been attending the 2023 Repsol Honda launch. Let's talk about some of the stuff, Neil, that we saw today. Uh, we got an early train from Barcelona, where we both live, uh, to walk just down the road from the Atocha train station. Uh, a fairly busy event. The last time Repsol Honda did this in 2019, we saw Jorge Lorenzo standing on stage with a broken wrist. It was, of course, the pre-event before the season where Mar Marquez went on a tear. 19 races. Uh, I think he won something like 17. Well, no, he won a substantial amount. He only finished off the podium once. He finished no lower than second as well. Probably one of the most dominant seasons seen in history. So perhaps a little prophetic that um, you know Repsol Honda has started this event again we've been rushed around a little bit and we're actually in a room now where there's a lot of uh, assembly going on for a photo shoot so perhaps Joanna and Mark are going to be um, wheeled into here along with the RCV uh, what better place to start now what are your thoughts on the Repsol Honda livery there are some differences there are yeah I think by Repsol standards over the last couple of years this is a profound change there's red <laughs> wheels there's a Honda racing sticker on the side of it I think there's an Akrapovic sticker as well which is all new so by recent standards this is uh, you know a massive displacement from uh, what's come before we've still got uh, pretty much the same colors in the same positions but a few little twinks here and there to kind of differentiate what was 2022 bike and uh, what they'll have this year could i be slightly controversial in saying that joan mir's day glow yellow that he brings to the mix makes almost a little bit of valentino rossi coming into repsol honda perhaps uh, a little bit of a throwback there yeah maybe he's trying to wind up his teammate early on with some mind games trying to get under his skin <laughs> But, you know, it is quite Rossi-esque, isn't it? Back when uh, he was with Repsol Honda in uh, 03, 04, oh, no, sorry, 02 and 03. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it looks well. But, um, yeah, obviously quite a lot to talk about today with, with different things. Honda, you mentioned 2019. I mean, what they would give to kind of go on a, a kind of season of dominance uh, like they did in that year. Um, you know, indications are that that is quite a long way away, that potential level of dominance but um, yeah certainly Marquez was, was speaking confidently confidently in his aims his, his, his goals for this year you know he was just saying after time and time again that um, it was we're here to fight for the championship and that's pretty much it it's ironic really that we're here doing this event because again the last time we were HRC and Repsol Honda were in such a strong position. I mean, they had Mark Marquez, uh, you know, the reigning world champion. Uh, again, he would go on to have that historic season. But then also Jorge Lorenzo came into the team. It was the dream team. It was uh, the place to be, wasn't it? And uh, now there's a lot of questions around Repsol HRC. Can Mark Marquez rediscover that form? Does he have the tools to do so? Um, how are Honda changing? You know, we, we've had some questions, mainly in Spanish, has to be said. Um, you know, so we'll have to get through and trans and translate those and transcribe them but you know with Ken Kawuchi coming into the setup um, Takao stepping out back to Japan and apparently Alberto Pucci informing us that he's going to be educating the next fleet of engineers that will be coming over to Europe to work for HRC and using his experience in that way and then of course Joan Mir which is you know he comes into the berth um, and the collapse of Suzuki we knew for some time it was the most logical option for Mir to join this team but still he would have had doubts 
based on how Honda have been faring over the last two years. And, uh, well, I mean, again, there's a huge question mark over his head. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's not quite the, the dream team that we had back here in 2019 when Lorenzo was here. And I think we had, uh, what was it, 12 World Championships on, you know, in within one garage at that time. Um, now it's just the 10 with Mark's 8 and Joanne's 2. Um, I mean, there can be no doubt that this is a really, really, really strong lineup. And um, you'd have to say most years, um, this would probably be the strongest kind of team on the grid in terms of personnel. Mir coming off a, such a wretched 2022, maybe his um, his star has waned ever so slightly since that time. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, basically, you know, when you have Mark fit and you have John Mir and your team, you know, there can be no real excuses. Like you know that the riders are definitely good enough, and the only reason not to win would be sort of mechanical based. Let's talk a bit about Mir first because I thought he was particularly eloquent today. Uh, the message was very much one of patience, adjusting uh, to the setup. Uh, Alberto Puggio also remarking as well that he felt that Joanne needed an acclimatization period. There's not going to not going to be any kind of strict demands on him. I would have thought from the beginning, and Mir himself was you know making the necessary gestures about being honoured to join such a, uh, a setup with a deep racing history in MotoGP. But then also saying you know that he's going to have to really knuckle down and um, and learn along the way. So it was quite a humble presentation, I thought, by him. Um, you know, even reflecting on his championship from 2020 saying it was based on consistency and that's the same sort of thing he needs to bring to this job now um alberto puj also neil talking about uh, how some of the reasons why they hired jorge lorenzo of course for his undoubted ability and his um his career record uh, as well as polis bugger last year you know honda thought they could tap into Paul's experience from ktm and everything they would used to try and develop a motorcycle so quickly didn't quite work out uh, joan mir is um not only a strong sidekick to mark marquez but also potentially one for the future. I don't think there's such a, a heavy hammer hanging over his head for results right away. Yeah, I think the big difference between Mir and Lorenzo and Espargaro when they came in, they were either in their early 30s or in their late 20s when they joined Repsol Honda. Mir, you know, still is relatively, I mean, he's not really new to the class. He's obviously coming into his fifth year now. But he's still in his mid-20s. He's still young enough to adapt to a new bike. And I think, um, you know, what he's shown in his career definitely has the sort of the, the kind of the the mental tools to to adapt to what is going to be a really tough season what's going to be a tough situation not just being Mark's teammate but also to try and get Honda out of this slump um, he said something interesting asked him if he ex- is expecting to be you know up at the front at Portimao the first race so if not there then where and he did say that it's going to take some time this is probably going to be a season where it's going to be starting not slowly but gently and try and build yourself up and it's almost it's how kind of a rookie talks in, in, in many respects it's about just getting finishes on the board and then trying to <clears throat> reduce the gap to the leader seems like he's in a similar situation now um, he didn't disgrace himself at Spang but he didn't exactly set the, the world on fire and I don't think anyone was expecting him to do that but yeah it doesn't seem like anyone is under any illusions that He's going to be. I was going to take some time for him to get up towards the front. Yeah, I asked him if the LCV was still a mystery to him, and he mentioned that acceleration was one big area that he still needs to work on and fix. But I mean, you mentioned Neil that his star has faded a little bit in the last few years. Um, Puj again reminded everybody that we're talking about a double world champion here. You know, the guy laid waste to Moto Three in 2017, riding a Honda in one of the most dominant 
you know campaigns we've seen in that class certainly up until the most yeah pedro costa did he eclipse it or not okay you're shaking your head at me so um wrong but uh, yeah you know we have a very very capable second rider and i know it seems like something of a poison saddle when you look at the the fates of danny pedrosa jorge lorenzo polo spargaro um you know it seems that like stefan brado is the constant background figure waiting to jump into the, the repsol honda team at some point but uh but mia you know he referenced again the history of the team um and i, I was impressed today with just how uh level-headed he's going about it so i think um he could be filed as one of the dark horses maybe for this season if 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 the honda seems to be easier to ride and on that note um we should also you know point out that kiwata san said that honda is still working intensely before portamao there's still a couple of weeks before the second test so it's not like honda are only planning some small upgrades to what they've already shown in sepang they could actually have something quite profound for these guys in portugal yeah that was certainly the noise that mark was making throughout the sepang test um I mean, he made it pretty clear that the updates there weren't really enough to kind of bridge the gap to Ducati. Um, it does sound as though there's going to be some more updates um, coming to Portimao, and there will be quite a lot of things to test. Um, and they need it. You know, that's that's absolutely vital that they, they have that because, you know, as we saw, I think Mark was seven tenths off the fastest time in, in, in Sepang, and, and Joanne was close to nine tenths off. I mean, the gap is far. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Honda need to be absolutely working at their, at their maximum from now until the kind of end of March, start of the season. Let's talk about Honda then for a moment because, I mean, they've been cradled in this event by Repsol again. Um, a bit of a shambolic event, I have to say. I mean, the organization wasn't quite... Uh, you're giggling at me, but uh, the yeah, the organization wasn't the best. We weren't really informed about any time or any running order. Can't even get a coffee uh, in the side. So, um, you know, journalists uh, surrounding us here being chucked out of the auditorium and working on the floor. So, uh, yeah, Repsol, you could really get your act together. I think certainly in terms of pushing their um, their whole profile in, when it comes to this uh, impressive manufacturer and the factory team they have in MotoGP. But... Uh, there is a sense when we talk about HRC specifically now that there's a bit of a wounded animal uh, there lying on the floor. Um, we asked Alberto Puch how things have changed. Again, Kawuchi mentioned how he's drafted in to try and, you know, change the setup a little bit, change the culture. Um, he also remarked on how Honda are being a little bit more open-minded as we saw last year when they started using a Calix swing arm, now using a Krapovich exhaust technology as well. Uh, that's that's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, um, we'll speak about Mark Marquez in a moment, but he was uh, basically referencing Honda's willingness to try and find something to put them back on the top. Yeah, I mean, that is, you'd have to say, a positive step that they are willing to look outside their kind of their recognized area of expertise. Um, but from a technical point of view, you would have to say that things are still in a pretty difficult place. Um, I just think you mentioned earlier about how Takeo Yukiyama has been moved basically from the technical director role back to work in Japan. And, you know, there is a, a sort of a, an assumption that basically Honda have been too slow to react to their problems over recent years. Um, you know, Honda are kind of insistent to say that Takeo is there to try and speed up that process, to try and meld the kind of link between the, the factory and the, the race team, which should hopefully help them bring updates whenever they're necessary, which will probably be quite often this year, let's be honest. Um, yeah, and just from what we saw at Sepang, it still seems like the, the kind of the project is, is still some way off, you know, like the fact that 
Kinkle, which he was asking Mark and Stefan Bradle to test without wings, as we mentioned on our last podcast um, on the final day at Sepang. I mean, that does show that he's trying to go back to the absolute basics to try and understand the most basic behavior of the bike, which shows that they're, okay, he's doing things in the right way, perhaps, and he's building something for the future, but still a long way off. Eh? Like, that's, that's still a long, long way off where Ducati are, where Aprilia are at the moment. So, um, so yeah, they've, they've got a lot of work to do, um, but I still think they've got the best rider on the grid in their midst, who's fully motivated and fully fit for the first time starting the season since 2020. Um, and that is, I think, probably the most positive thing over anything else. He, they did have Paul Aspargaro bringing his view uh, into how, you know, the bike should be set up in the last two years now. Um, they're going to have Alex Rins as fresh input. We've spoken about Jeremy before. And then, of course, Takanakagami is always the consistent uh, and knowledgeable input from that side of it on the LCR. But, you know, is there... We didn't get time to ask really today because there was a lot of people, uh, there was a lot of Spanish journalists asking questions. Um, but I just do wonder about the strength of Honda's testing program. I mean, if we compare it with something like um, Ducati, which well, Ducati are a different situation anyway because they have reams of data from the grid itself, never mind the testing program. But if you take KTM, for example, using three former Grand Prix winners um, to, you know, evolve the rc16 um you know and hrc are relying on japanese uh, input as well as stefan bradle you think the world's largest motorcycle manufacturer of the most prestigious race team in the series would be putting more eggs into that basket yeah yeah for sure um and obviously you know what ken kochi can bring to the table like that's not really going to be truly felt until further down the line, you know, a few months down the line, perhaps maybe even a year down the line. Alberto Puig said in the, the presentation that they're understanding his working methods, but they're still trying to adapt to them. Likewise, Ken's still trying to adapt to what he's found in Honda. So this isn't going to be an overnight change. Um, you would say it's probably a step in the right direction. Early indications are that things are a little more organized. I mean, you look at last year and Stefan Bradle showed up at the shakedown test at Sepang and his bike wasn't there because he had been testing at Hareth, I think, the day before. And someone had miscalculated at the time that it would take for his bike to travel from Hareth to Sepang. So he showed up and there was no bike to test. There was no riding gear. He had to borrow, I think, helmets and leathers from other riders. That gave you an indication that things were not being organized in a really coherent way. Well, maybe it's being organized by the Repsol Media Department. We'll have to see. Or me. Maybe I was booking the flies. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, you know, certainly early accounts are that Ken is maybe established a decent bit of organization within the kind of structure there um but yeah this is going to be an overnight change let's get on to mark then um he's been busy hasn't he i mean he commented one of the first comments one of the first answers to the questions were you know for the first time in four almost five years he's had a normal winter period of preparation but uh he's also been extremely active you know as we've seen just turned 30 years old um you know one of the finest rider the finest rider in the sports history um now splattered all over amazon uh, not in the uk oddly enough i tried to log in through an amazon uk account and um couldn't see the series yet um going through a spanish source you could uh it's fantastic and um, maybe we'll do a little bit of a podcast about the mark marquez all in amazon prime series but uh from the first episode i saw i know you've seen a bit more so i'll ask you for your opinion um it's very revealing it's very personal uh and i think you know, it's it's critical. I think he's critical of himself. He's critical of the organization around him um, and his employers. So it's, you know, I think it's only right that people will be asking him 
you know, if he has the patience to wait another year while people misstep and he is 100% ready to go, uh, you could argue that Honda, you know, maybe deserve some some patience and some tolerance from him because they've been very, very you know, loyal to him and his plight to come back from injury. Uh, so, it's it's a strange kind of dynamic. But Mark was um, making some very overly positive comments today, wasn't he? Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at Renthal.com to find the perfect bend. He was, yeah. Um, he was, I mean, for those of you that haven't seen the, the, the Amazon series, I would recommend that you do, first of all, because it is a, it's a good show. Uh, it's well put together, it's well made, well edited, and the material itself is, is quite revealing in parts. Mark also is really honest. And at one point in it, he does say, you know, if I can't come back and Honda isn't capable of providing me with a bike that allows me to win, then I'll have to look elsewhere. I mean, he says that on camera. So, um, yeah, it's only normal, I think, that he was fielding a couple of questions today about his patience and whether or not um, he will see out this year I guess or the, you know the, basically he won't jump ship at the end of this year is what I'm trying to say um, he was very careful today to say you know I'm here for 2023 I'm also here for 2024 um, this is going to be a sort of a, a long term thing if it doesn't work out this year then we still have next year to get things right um, and he was also pointing out that last year when some of those comments were made it was kind of in the heat of the moment when he was trying to give Honda a bit of a jilt he said there were times he felt, uh, I think, the Austrian Grand Prix in particular, he had a very uh, stern and um, no bullshit kind of meeting with Honda and, um, you know, said basically had to tell him very straight what was needed. Um, and they reacted. He said, you know, they've reacted to what he requested, changing organization. Obviously, Ken has come in, as we mentioned. Um, and, uh, yeah, the technical changes haven't quite been up to up to scratch yet, but he's certainly seen a reaction from Honda, which um, might not be as much as he was expecting, but it, it, at least it's something. So, um, yeah, he was kind of walking back those comments ever so slightly and saying that, you know, they were made in the heat of the moment when the, the manufacturer needed a prod, and sometimes you have to do that when you're leading a project. But... You know, whether that's really what he feels, um, I guess no one really knows. Well, there's one part, I think, where he says he considers himself quite a normal person, but as a racer, he's an arsehole. So there is essentially the contradiction in Mark, isn't it? I, I wonder if today, maybe because of the formality of the event, um, he was being particularly, I wouldn't say contrite, you know, with his comments, but he was um, presenting very much a team player, very much, you know, a, a unified force um, sitting next to Alberto Puj there on the stage. Uh, you know, and somebody asked him, you know, where do you think you'll be? How, how competitive do you think you'll be starting the season? Um, he wasn't 
particularly negative about that. He said, you know, if we get something else to test, um, he reckons they might be within the top five going for, you know, um, that first five group of protagonists in Portimao for the opening round. Uh, so, you know, there is cautious optimism sometimes, but I didn't really see that from us today. I saw quite a, uh, a positive force. But again, it might be something to do with the fact that we're at the official launch and, you know, it's not a candid media interview and um, the comments maybe in the in the green room might be slightly different yeah i think he's absolutely sure that he's in a place where he can he can fight um and i guess he just has to think that okay sepang wasn't great but then he was testing so many different things we mentioned some of the things that he was testing at sepang which were kind of like going back to basics never really sort of was working on right let's try and see how this bike reacts over like 10 15 laps let's try and do a race simulation stuff like that um it was pretty much a test kind of like ktm where it was more for the engineer than for the rider um i guess he's he's banking on trying to hone his setup a little bit and um also, the fact that you know Sepang's just a, a rubbish track for for him and Honda. Um, he was saying today, if if you know if we go to Saxon tomorrow, he's pretty much sure that he would be up there fighting for victory. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 going to he's no matter how bad the situation is in Honda, you still don't write him off, right? Like when he's fully fit, like he is, and when he's absolutely raring to go, like he is. Um, I still think he's going to start the year. Maybe not as the all-right favorite, but certainly one of them. I mean, you would be a fool to write him off. No, we're in the Spanish capital, and uh, you know, Mark, as we said, has been busy. Uh, you know, he's promoing the the new All-In series on Prime. Um, you know, they shut off Gran Vía, which is quite an important street uh, in Madrid, and he was doing some burnouts and wheelies on the bike, and it was all put together by Red Bull. It was an impressive kind of production. Um, you just look at that, and you have to think this is something really positive for MotoGP. I mean, this is something that it needed with the un limited series that didn't really happen uh, when the next kind of streaming project or something that comes up on an OTT platform for you know MotoGP happens it needs that kind of fanfare doesn't it um, it also really hoisted Mark up to the he's already the premium rider in MotoGP but stuff like this just makes him even bigger doesn't it and we're not just talking about a Spanish market here yeah exactly and you do hope that this documentary takes off I do think it is it's interesting it's, it's revealing looks at obviously someone that is going through the mill um, because you see essentially the full 2022 season when it's just a nightmare for the most part um, one or two glimpses of light towards the end of it but yeah you do see Mark in pretty much his darkest hour um, and it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating viewing I do hope that you know you were saying that you weren't able to access it on the British Amazon um, I do hope that you know, there were some obviously difficulties with the launch of MotoGP Unlimited when it came out a year ago. Um, and hopefully this will have a bit more reach, a bit more universal appeal than that particular series. I mean, Mark is a household name in Spain. Um, you know, obviously one of the most famous successful sportsmen in the country. Um, so you would hope that there is a bit more traction there. But I guess time will tell. I, I think the story and the, the kind of production is certainly good enough to make it a, a, a watchable, entertaining package for the average person. It's it's just, I think, how easy it is to access and how well it's advertised and how when you log into your Amazon account, how clear it is, how easy it is to find it. Because, you know, certainly with the MotoGP Unlimited, unless you were searching for it in the search bar, you couldn't really find it anywhere. So I'm hoping that that is kind of a bit more accessible too. Does he really need to be doing this stuff? I mean, Valentino Rossi really never maybe slightly older of course was coming to the end of his time in MotoGP Mark has had a fascinating chapter uh, for however, however painful and, and depressing it was for him to get over the arm injury 
But, you know, I just think uh, people like Fabio Quattro are looking at this thinking, that's what I need to be doing. I mean, Alesh Aspargaro has started a vlog, which he's just publishing on, on YouTube. But something of this kind of scale, letting cameras in almost every aspect of your personal life for quite a substantial period. Is that what we need more MotoGP guys to be doing, do you think? I mean, first of all, you're showing your age by calling it a vlog. Uh, the cool kids call it a vlog. That's what Sparrow calls it, a vlog. I'm, I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, accurate, I think is the word. Right, okay. In Catalan, maybe, but not in English. Um, yeah, should more guys be doing this? I mean, I guess so. Um, I guess you would say that MotoGP has found itself in a bit of a difficult situation post-Rossi. Um and it obviously needs to do something to try and keep pace with some of the other sports that are shooting up in popularity, Formula One being the obvious example. We always feared that there would be a slight dip in interest in attendances after Rossi retired, and that was kind of the case last year. Obviously, there were lots of places where it wasn't affected at all, um, but places certainly in Italy um, it was. And... Um, yeah, you would say that um, basically, I guess the more visible it is, the, the better it is. Whether it, every rider should be making their own vlog or having their own camera crew following around, I'm not sure. But certainly, um, I think the more kind of light that's shed on this world, the kind of the better it is because it's it's exciting. There's lots going on. There's lots of interest. There's lots of intrigue there. So, um, yeah, I think that um, yeah, the more more camera crews that are allowed in the better. Neil, lastly, um, when Mark came back from injury in Portimao, you were very um, optimistic of his chances. I think you and Dave were saying, you know, he's going to be in podium contention. Uh, he wasn't. Uh, but, you know, you were, you were quite right that, you know, a man or a rider or an athlete of his class uh, doesn't stay down for long. Um, you know, he's just too good. His sensitivity and the way he handles the motorcycle is just peerless. Um, what do you think of his chances for this year? I mean, what's the first kind of emotion or feelings that come to mind when you think of Mark Marcus and Honda? Because for me, uh, he, he's a contender right off the bat. Uh, there has to be something fundamentally wrong with the orientation or the concept of this year's motorcycle to prevent him from being a guy who's adding to more statistics and, and pushing him into those top three of all time, both for podiums and for wins. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Ad. He's a contender for sure. No matter what package he's on, he's going to be a contender. Um, and we're going to see him in championship mode from the start, which, you know, at the end of last year, when he came back, I think we saw in that docuseries at Valencia for example he just thought you know what I'm just going to go out and try and do the best I can and if I crash then the hell with it because I'm not really gaining anything in the championship um, yeah I, I think he has to be considered whether he can beat Ducati I mean that just depends on the kind of updates the Honda can bring you saw the level that Pekka was at in the second half of last season I mean it was win second third pretty much everywhere we went with the exception of two rounds I think in the second half of the year I mean that's a pretty formidable thing to come up against and if you're having to battle against a bike that maybe can't qualify so well or doesn't have grip on the exit of the corners like it does at the moment or maybe can't overtake as easily as he could in previous years then I mean it's difficult to maintain that over 42 races um, but if anyone can do it it's him absolutely sure about that so I think you know if Honda have an 80% working bike uh, I think he can make up for the rest 
whether it's enough for the championship, I'm still yet to be convinced. But hey, we've only seen one preseason test so far this year, so still a, a long, long way ahead of us. That's why I think it's one of the most interesting things about this season. If you add in the sprints, which they're now officially called, not sprint races, uh, then you know you're going to need a, a very versatile and explosive motorcycle, and that's really, I think, where the the main uh, scrutiny is going to fall down on. And lastly, um, what are your hopes for Juan Mir? I mean, for me personally, I think whatever he can do is a bonus, so he doesn't end up looking as despondent and dismayed as Paul Spargaro was last year because that was pretty grim. I mean, um, for a rider who's always transparent, outwardly emotional as Paul, to see, you could see it all over his face what he was trying to deal with, um, the inflexibility of the package that he had at Honda. Uh, and I really hope that Mir doesn't end up going down that same kind of shoot. Well, I think if we get one smile from Juan after the first weekend, then that will already be an improvement on Paul. That doesn't work, Neil. Paul was on the podium in the first race. After the first race, yeah, exactly. Because first race was great. Then from there, it was just a, a nightmare. Um, yeah, I don't think we can expect too much. I think you know, Juan is is one of the top riders in MotoGP. I think if you had him on a Ducati or an Aprilia, you would be saying he's a factor in the championship. Um, but with Honda, no. Um, I think it's going to take some time to build himself up. And if he can, it's almost like you say about a, a class rookie, if he can be gradually getting closer as the season develops and maybe fighting for top sixes by mid-season points, then pushing on for occasional podiums here and there at tracks that he likes, um, then that would have to be considered a success. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that quick uh, debrief from Madrid. We're going to play out with a couple of the comments that we did manage to record from Mark Alberto Puig and Joan Mir here today. Don't forget to send us any comments on Twitter, also through Patreon, of course, where you can find some extra content. We'll probably try and do a show on the Mark Marquez Amazon series pretty soon because it's impressive stuff. Otherwise, thanks for listening and take care. As you see in the docu-serie, I mean, in an in a athlete life, I mean, uh, especially in a, in a very difficult moment, uh, it's some up and downs, uh, not only... Not only in, uh, in the track, also outside the track. And, uh, and uh, with Honda, we, we feel a lot of respect each other. And uh, we know when it's time to say something straight on the, on the face or just uh, keep calm. Of course, there's some moments that, uh, that uh, as a rider, uh, as an employer of uh, Honda, I, I want the best of, uh, for, from them. And, uh, and I try to push because my target is try to win and try to win with them. This is the, the first target, but uh, sometimes uh, you, you must push as a rider. Uh, for example, on that period I consider that uh, was time to push, and now is time is the period to go to, to, to be passionate and to work together. And uh, and we have a very long relationship, and uh, we respect a lot uh, each other. And uh, I'm convinced that we will come back to the top uh, together. The, regarding the, the expectations, uh, the expectations are high. You know, every every year you you want to to be to be as competitive as you can. But obviously, this year uh, we need a, we have a big challenge in front of us. Um, I I don't know if I will be honestly ready to to be fighting for the podium till the first race. I would love to. But, uh, but I don't know, we have to be realistic, we have to see now on the test uh, and, be fo- and to try to be focused to improve uh, the performance from the test, that is the main thing. Then we will start the first race, we will see, uh, and uh, you know, I think my style is to do a, um, 
uh, a season from less to more and increase a little bit that um, that intensity race by race and uh, with uh, with better feelings uh, like this no so that that is something that uh, now I will sign to do but I don't know and if I can if I can be as competitive as possible in the first race I, I will be happy so uh, we will see this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler David Emmett Steve English Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. For me, the part that needs to be uh, a little bit more discovered is the, the acceleration part, no? Uh, it's something that uh, I think that uh, we can improve more uh, is uh, one of our weak, weak points and uh, for sure uh, is something that you can work a lot on the electronic side. So uh, this part, I guess, is the, is the one that I need more time to understand and to make more laps with and uh, to, yeah, to, to improve uh, more lap by lap. I think that is, is there also the, the confidence.